0: I'm Lori Hellman, an Indiana warrior mom who has navigated the autism world for 16 years and counting. My hope is to unite autism families by sharing experiences and taking a deep dive into this puzzling disorder. So thanks for joining me on Living the Sky Life, Our Autism Journey. Having a child with special needs certainly impacts everyone in the family. I've often wondered, What the adult relationship between my 16-year-old son with autism and my 14-year-old neurotypical daughter will look like. In today's episode, I get to hear firsthand about two siblings who are bonded by love and laughter. I'm chatting with board-certified behavior analyst and autism sibling extraordinaire Dana. Dana and I discuss her personal experience growing up with Rob, her older brother on the autism spectrum and how she decided to pursue a career revolving around autism therapy. We also chat about the day-to-day life for an adult living on the spectrum, which she chronicles daily via Instagram. I'm so honored to have Dana as a guest and find her relationship with her brother so inspirational. I sure hope my son and daughter share a similar bond and look out for each other when I'm no longer here, and yelling at them to be nice to one another. Please enjoy our conversation. Thanks, everyone, for joining me today on the Living the Sky Life podcast. I have um, Dana with me today, who I found on Instagram, and I daily enjoy her posts about her brother, Rob, who is on the spectrum, and he is her older brother. Um, She posts daily about all of the adventures that they go on throughout the day and all of her uh, care of Rob. So um, Dana, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for agreeing to talk to me today.
1: Hi, thank you so much for having me.
0: Absolutely. Um, You know, one of the things that's most intriguing to me about your story um, is not only that you have an older brother, which is similar to my kids. Um, My son, Skylar, who I talk about all the time, is um, Uh two years older than my daughter, and they're teenagers now. So, I just, I'm always intrigued by siblings who have a totally different perspective than the parents that talk about their kids on the spectrum and everything that we go through as parents. I think the siblings are forgotten a lot of times about their experience growing up with a child on the spectrum or a sibling on the spectrum. So, um, you know, I wondered if you could share a little bit about your childhood growing up with Rob and when you realized that he was a little bit different than you um, and had some different needs. Sure.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think that um, for myself, I really kind of started to notice the difference with Robert um, around school age when I started going to kindergarten and getting up in through elementary school and being exposed to other kids and friends who didn't have a sibling like Rob. It was kind of one of those like, well, what do you mean you don't have an autistic brother or sister? Because <laughs> like, you, you kind of think it's normal, you know, when you're younger, it's just Rob is Rob. That's who he is. This is our family. And I had friends in the neighborhood and they all knew Rob and he was, you know, very welcomed into our, our neighborhood community amongst mm-hmm. my friends when I was younger. So it all, you know, felt very normal in the moment growing up in it. Like I said, it was just getting into those older ages where you started to hear about you know, siblings having different experiences together, or you new friends who had an older brother that came up through the school and he's in the high school. And I was in, you know, junior high with his younger sister. And you kind of start to compare a little bit and you realize, Mm -hmm. oh, well, you know, my brother's older too, but he's not in school. He's homeschooled and he's with my mom all day. And it was just, you start to notice the differences Mm -hmm. Um, and I do just want to let you know, having teenage kids, the teenagers are rough for everyone, autism or not. (laughs) Yes, they are. (laughs) It gets better. (laughs) We get through it. Um, but yeah, you know, it was that, it was at school age where I really did start to notice, um, a little bit more of a difference, I would say.
0: Did he notice things that like you getting your driver's license that you could drive a car? Did he ever does he understand that that he can't do that or does he you just know, enjoy you driving him around
1: <laughs> i think he really just enjoys having a chauffeur every mm-hmm. day. I'm um, sure <laughs> no but i don't think he you know function wise i don't i don't think that that's something he he understands i mean again i can't really speak for him i don't really sure. know exactly what he understands um but it was he never you know, engaged in any type of behaviors that would allow us to believe that this was something he noticed or something Mm -hmm. he cared about. You know, he was content with Sesame Street and Disney movies and, you know, all of his favorite treats. And I don't think he could have cared less about those typical, you know, life milestones. I don't think that that was something he recognized.
0: Did you ever feel like, I mean, my daughter claims that she doesn't feel this way and, and I take mm-hmm. her for, for her word, but um, do you, did you ever feel like so much attention was focused on him and he needed your parents' time and attention most of the day, every day? Did you ever feel a little bit isolated and left out of some things or did you never really experience that?
1: I mean, absolutely. I definitely had moments where I felt like that, but I don't think it's, it was anything outside of a, of a typical sibling experience either. I think that anybody growing up with brothers and sisters are going to have those moments where they feel like some of the attention is taken away from them and being placed on another sibling. So I don't think, you know, for myself, it never was, oh my God, because Robert has autism, you know, he's getting this attention. It was just like, oh great. You know, there's Rob again. Like he's taking away mom and dad's attention, but it was never anything that I, attributed to his autism, if that Mm -hmm. makes sense. And you weren't resentful Um, of him, obviously. No. And then, like I said, you know, the teenagers are rough for everyone. So Mm -hmm. of course I had moments where it was frustrating and I felt a little bit frustrated, like, Oh, you know, we can't even all sit down through dinner because Rob has to get up and he needs help doing X, Y, and Z, you know, Mm -hmm. small moments like that, but then kind of pulling it back in big perspective, big picture. I never held on to any type of resentment. I never, you know, I wanted to, like run away and never hear about autism again. I I kind of did the opposite. Clearly. (laughs) Yes.
0: Well, yeah. uh, yeah. Well, that makes me feel better as a a mom and as a parent. You just always hope that you're doing everything the right way for both of your kids, all of your kids, if you have more than two. So um, that gives me some hope that that if she says that that's not how she feels either, then, you know, hopefully (laughs) she's never going to grow up you know, resentful and and mad at me. yeah, but um, so, as you mentioned, you know, you now autumn is autism is pretty much your life. and um you working with Rob nonstop now. Um, so how did that all come to be? Mm-hmm. I know you you had told me before that you didn't venture off into college to get into the field of autism and and therapies and things like that. So, how did that right. all
1: transpire? <laughs> yeah, You know, I wish I really kind of knew. Um, it all just kind of seemed to fall together. I was, I went to college. I, I double majored in math and psychology. In my senior year, I was kind of stuck, and I didn't really know what direction I wanted to go in. Um, I didn't know which field I wanted to go in. I didn't know if I wanted to continue my education and jump right into a graduate program. Um So our, the psychology department, I attended Hamilton College for my undergrad and the psychology department there had a very close relationship with the New England Center for Children, uh, which is a school based out in Massachusetts that specializes in autism education and research. And since I felt so indecisive, I was like, oh, maybe I'll just do this. Maybe I'll do this for a year. I'll see what happens. I'll get out there in the fields and, and see what I think about it. And it's like, you know, I grew up with autism. I was like, it's an autism teaching school. Like I can do this. Mm-hmm. Um, so I ended up applying for a job there and I was accepted and I got there and I just got sucked into it. You know, you get, you get pulled in and I was seeing the progress that all of these kids were making. I was exposed to ABA. Um, and I just, I felt like I learned so much about autism there that I just kept wanting to learn more and more. And that's how I ended up in the master's program and eventually ended up getting my, my board certification as a behavior analyst.
0: Which is a huge process. Isn't that like a several-year process? I really didn't realize until some of the BCBAs that work with Skylar you know, just told me the test and all the things they go through the years of training, um, yeah, really it's, sit for your it's, pr- BCBA. it's a pretty involved program, mm-hmm. which is good. It makes me feel good. <laughs> you know, the people who oh, are yeah, working absolutely. with our kids
1: <laughs> are very, very, uh, educated on all things, autism and ABA. Yes. So as long as they're a BCBA, mm-hmm. they have, they have the certification and all of those requirements, but anybody who just comes in and with a title of like an ABA therapist mm-hmm. or, RBTs. you know, an ABA teacher, right. RBTs do have a little bit more of structured training, but if they don't have that certification title, then they don't necessarily have to have all of the experience just as a, as a little fun side fact. Well, it's good for people to know when they're looking for programs or
0: therapists, what you're looking for and you can understand it. So you worked in a residential program first, right out of the master's program or during the master's program? Yeah, during the
1: master's program. So I was working and going to school. Um, while I was out there and I did, I worked in a residential program and I worked with kids. I was in the residential program for seven years while I was out there and I worked with kids. The age range was 11 to 22, 21, 22. I worked on a couple of different teams so that like, you know, those teenage years. And then I worked with the older kids uh, who were aging out and graduating our programs and moving on to um, adult placements for a few years while I was out, the, out there as well
0: was there varying um degrees of the spectrum in the residential program were there kids that were pre-verbal or was everybody verbal or were there kids who were um or teenagers that were um pot not potty trained and things like that i mean did you see the gamut of everything Uh, yeah i saw i saw it all (laughs) i saw it all
1: this the school yeah the school as a whole um serves a very wide population and you know, some of the teams they try to gear to students who behavior wise are similar, but it doesn't always necessarily work out that way. And you do end up working with a very wide range of students. I worked with kids who were very vocal and would you could sit down and have a conversation with them like you and I are having right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I also worked with students, you know, similar to my brother, who had a very limited vocal repertoire, who could occasionally say a word or two and get their needs and wants met. Um, but then I also saw the opposite end of that, where I worked with kids who were coming in who didn't have any communication skills. And we were kind of starting from scratch, and they were non-vocal, and we were trying to work with them to create those initial communication skills. So I, mm-hmm. I kind of saw it all. And definitely, you know, kids who struggled with ADLs in the bathroom, toileting, yeah. showering. Um, but then I also worked with kids who were doing, you know, high school level algebra down in the academic classrooms.
0: <laughs> so yeah. it really
1: was Gosh, across that's the that's so spectrum.
0: unique. It's just such a, I mean, you kind of never know what you're going to walk into each day. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> absolutely.
1: Program. You know, it really kept you on your toes. <laughs> um, oh but the goodness. one, the one thing that the kids all had in common, obviously, because it was a residential program, is that... They weren't able to be successfully supported in their home environment so their families chose to send their students to this school and to have them essentially live there um, mm-hmm. in a house with their peers so we kind of you know we weren't only teachers i mean we did implement academic programming all of the students we worked with were on ieps um, but we also worked with these kids at the house, and we would take them out to dinner if we could at night, or we would be cooking dinner with them at the residence we'd be helping them a shower we'd be tucking them into bed we'd be waking them up in the morning um, so you kind of you know you live with these kids every day, um, which was a very very unique and interesting experience
0: yeah, you were a parent and a teacher all in one yeah. i mean i don't I, I, that's a lot i mean there are definitely days that. I am so thankful for our ABA program just from eight to four because I don't know that I could entertain and educate Skylar all day long and then do all the evening (laughs) things too and the bath and the dinner and all of that. So it's nice to be able to have a facility that can teach him during the day and those type of things. And then we pick up in the evening, but doing Mm -hmm. it 24 hours is is that's a lot. You guys are to be commended because it yes. takes the patience of a saint to be able to handle all of that. So is that a year-long um, program? I mean, do they live there year-round? Yeah, year-round. Or? Gosh. so A lot of the
1: students will, will go home if, if they're able to be successful mm-hmm. at home. They'll go home for the holidays, you know, for a few days, but it is, it is a year-long program. And we even would go to school, you know, throughout the summer um, year-round. Cause I would
0: imagine I guess if they did leave and go home even for a short break, it could kind of you know cause them to regress a little bit on behaviors or whatever they were learning if they're taken out of that environment they're used to and then absolutely you know, put into a home that they're not familiar with.
1: Yeah. Well, we would even see, we would see like small, we would see it in like small ways where, you know, a student would come back from home and right away they would be pretty demanding about the types of food that they wanted for dinner or the snacks that they wanted. Oh, well, we know so and so had a fun weekend at home eating all (laughs) of these fun snacks and food. And now they're back here and they think that they're going to be able to kind of have access to all of the things that they had at home. And it's like, we're sorry, it's nine o'clock. We can't go out and get McDonald's right now. Like we have to wait. Um, So, you know, we would, we would pick up on bits and pieces, but it's, it's typical, you know, you go home with your parents, you're, you're away from school. Your parents are going to spoil you. We all kind of understood that. And it was a little bit, you know, Mondays and were rough days for us when we had some kids that came back from the weekend. Um, But we understood and we kind of helped them work through it. And once they got back into a routine, everything kind of fell back into, you know, Normalcy as as much as normalcy you know could mean for us
0: mm-hmm. well, then what led, I guess there were seven years of time there, which was a lot going to school and doing that also, mm-hmm. and then you moved home and um now you provide. Is it daily ABA and just, you know, outings and everyday tasks? I know you've posted before about taking him to the dentist and taking mm-hmm. him just to do his normal medical checkups and just different things. Um, so I know that you are providing care for Rob on a daily basis and, and teaching him too. What made you just de- made you
1: have the decision to come home and and kind of take on that role? Yeah, well, just um, you know, watching my my parents really struggle finding programming for rob past Mm -hmm. the high school age um you know we had a hard time in the area just in general finding a program and there were pressure kind of put on my parents um you know from from our service coordinators you know we need rob in a program and my parents too had had jobs and things Mm -hmm. that they wanted to do um so this pressure just kind of get, got put on us and, and my parents ended up finding a day program that seemed okay. You know, it was, it was okay. It was something for him to do. It wasn't the most ideal program, but it was at that point of, of kind of desperation of, of you know not having any other options. Um, and unfortunately it didn't work out very well for us. And, and, you know, just as a disclaimer, Rob has a very sad part of his story Um, where he was physically assaulted while he was at the day program by one of the program staff. And when it, you know, I don't want to get into too many details. I've kind of discussed it um, previously, but essentially the staff did put his hands on Robert in a way that was so traumatizing that it affected Robert and we had to pull him from the program. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, Robert was diagnosed with PTSD and behaviorally regressed, um, you know, significant regression in behavior. But um, what it boils down to at the program is that the staff weren't trained and the staff didn't understand Robert. They didn't know how to work with him. Robert was trying to communicate and they couldn't really understand him. Mm -hmm. Um, And it just boiled down to that lack of education and lack of training on how to work with a non-vocal autistic individual. So unfortunately for us, um, that that happened in 2009, which I was still in college at the time. So that also was a driving factor for me. Once I did get into the autism field and see how ABA was helping these kids, mm-hmm. um, you know, that was a factor for me why I continued to stay at that job. And then ultimately, you know, I was there for that extended amount of time, and nothing really got better at home with Robert. I mean, he he did gradually get a little bit better behaviorally. Mm-hmm. Um, but my parents still weren't able to find any programming for him. They weren't able to find competent staff to come in and work with him. And and it was just at this point where it was so much back and forth. And the people that were coming in were almost, you know, doing more harm than good. Right. Because they didn't understand Robert. So it was always stressful for Rob to try to get to learn somebody new and for them to not really understand him. And then ultimately the staff would be there for a couple of weeks or like a couple of months and they would move on to something else. Mm-hmm. So it was just this constant cycle of of having staff, not having staff, having staff, not having staff, and I thought you know we were at this critical point where we really need to figure something out. We're all getting older myself, Robert, my parents, you know we're we're at this stage where we're all here and we're healthy, and I have the education and I have the background mm-hmm. um and and I just felt that it was time. You know for me to come home and, and really see what our best options are. You know, it's hard when you sit down and you try to do future planning and it's it's like, well how far, you know, you have to plan the whole future. Mm-hmm. It's not just, you know, it's not just like, oh, well, what are we looking at in the next five years? What are we looking at in the next 10 years? Those questions are important. But for an autistic individual who requires, you know, 24 hour care, mm-hmm. the bigger question is, what are we going to do for his lifetime? Um, And it was something that we hadn't really talked too much about, I think, because we were still in recovery mode from the incident that happened at the adult placement. Um, That it was something we really hadn't talked about too much until I did move home two years ago, until I kind of spurred the conversation of like, what are we really doing here? (laughs) You know, Mm -hmm. what is our plan going to be? I'm coming home, let's figure this out. And in my mind, I thought that the least I could do would be to help Robert gain some skills that could at least help him be successful were he to go to a future placement somewhere else, you know, some type of day program or residential program. He needed help with communication skills. He needs help with his, you know, daily living skills, toileting, showering, um, kind of across, across the board. He needed help with a lot of skills that adult placements are looking for independence in, So I wanted to kind of come back and work with him as much as I could. And then hopefully I can maybe try to find some staff in the area and help train them and help them work with Robert and pull back. Um, But that's something that, you know, my parents and I will discuss when we feel like Robert's in a good spot and we, you know, feel comfortable bringing somebody back in to try to work with him.
0: Well, and when the, um, when your parents were advised to get him in some programming, I guess he was, you know, post twenty one, twenty two, when the traditional services end, what, I mean, what did they have in mind? Did they give any suggestions? Cause I feel like that's where we kind of are, even though Skylar's only 16, you know, we know that he, he reminds me a lot of Rob just mm-hmm. in the videos and all of those things. He requires the same amount of care Rob does. And I just kind of, you know, Project the future and and watch Rob and I think that's that's going to be Skylar. That's the same scenario that we're in, and mm-hmm. nobody has any suggestions. There aren't many programs that he can go to during the day. Um, I mean, they're not going to just put a bunch of people in adults in a van and take them to the zoo every day, or just you know, there's just not a service mm-hmm. that provides outings. So I mean, that's great that they made that suggestion to your parents, and there was a lot of pressure on them. But what solutions did they provide to be able to, you know, give you guys some alternatives? Because obviously this one, you know, company that you found was not mm-hmm. equipped to to really be doing the services that they were providing. So it scares me. I mean, I don't know what it's- we're going to do.
1: It's scary and unfortunately I don't have a great answer because the adult service world is is a scary place at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um it's very lacking. I think Yeah, I think that you know state by state, town by town they're they're starting to realize that they have these individuals that they're going to need to provide care for and and they're noticing the lack of programming. Um, like I said, while I was working out in Massachusetts when I worked with the older students who were graduating, we would run into many instances where the students who were graduating and moving back to their home state, we had some students that were from you know, Connecticut and Virginia, Massachusetts, New York, um, kind of all over the place. But students who were moving back, a lot of times we had to adjust timelines because the house they were moving into wasn't done being built yet. Mm. It was brand new programming, brand new staff, and and you know you kind of run the gamut. You don't you don't know what you're gonna get when you have such a new program, um, and it's hard because the the training for the staff that work in these adult placement type settings isn't great because the pay isn't great. Right, that's <laughs> it's, for it's sure. A, it's yes. a funding issue. Um, you know, currently I'm working, I'm working as Robert's community habilitation staff. Um, and you know, it's, it's tough. It's tough to find people who want to do this work because it is hard. It is tough, you know, especially working with a a non-vocal adult who can be difficult to communicate with, who can be aggressive, who needs help in the bathroom. Mm -hmm. You know, this isn't a field that's for everyone and especially when, you know, the pay rate isn't great, you know, what's, mm-hmm. what's the incentive? There's, there's no incentive for, for the staff to, to really kind of care for these individuals unless they themselves are naturally like caring people. Um, so it's, it's tricky and it's scary and uh, it's, it's a conversation I think that people need to keep having um, because I think that there, there are a lot of changes that need to be made in this area.
0: Absolutely. You know, and it's, it's frightening because a lot of, I think you mentioned too, a lot of the places, the facilities like that would, if we just got to the point where we we're too old and just not able to care mm-hmm. for him anymore, um, those facilities most often require that you're toileting you can toil- do toileting on your own and shower on your own. And, you know, you need minimal help. They wouldn't yes. necessarily take someone who's still in, you know, adult depends or, you know, needs to have help with their feeding and they can't make any of the food themselves. And it just, it scares me that, mm-hmm. of course, anyone would think no one's going to love your child and care for your child, even as an adult, like you can and like family can. Right. But you just run, you, know, you run out of family <laughs> at a certain point. There's you just, do. Everybody's too old <laughs> and there's just nothing that can be done. So, it's yeah. oh my gosh we're going to build a village and
1: <laughs> have our own really village. really though you know i think even there are instances there are there are um you know examples of little communities that are being built kind of in that vein for that reason mm-hmm. um which i i do think that that's a very you know great alternative but again you know it's <laughs> it comes down to money and resources mm-hmm. and and it's, it's hard and it's not something that everybody is going to be able to have access to, you know, like my brother is older, your son is older. Um, by the time we see a lot of these programs get up and running, you know, our, our guys are going to be, are going to be up there.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, and so are we. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And
1: who knows where we will be. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, it's definitely, definitely a scary world.
0: I just think the more talking we all do and, you know, the support that we continue to loudly pronounce that they need, you know, (laughs) I mean, that's, that's what it's going to take because I think people just forget that little kids that are four and five being diagnosed grow up eventually Mm -hmm. and they don't all just become, you know, mainstreamed into school and everything is, is better than it was. Some people stay exactly where they were when they were five years old and, you know, we can't forget about them. So. Yeah. Um, And I, well,
1: like, you're right. They don't, they don't grow out of autism. Like autism (laughs) doesn't magically go away on their 18th birthday, you know, and it's, I don't know why, but that seems to be the mentality, Mm -hmm. you know, at the moment. But like you said, I think the more we talk about it and the more we keep being loud advocates, you know, hopefully the future will look a little brighter. For sure.
0: Well, what is a typical day for you and Rob, like, what is the routine? Does he have a routine or I know you, usually before his, his sleep kind of dictates how things are going to go
1: if he stays up yeah, all night. He's a, <laughs> he's a funny guy. Um, as routine oriented as he can be, every day is different. Um, I kind of never know what I'm walking into, you know, when I'm going to get to the house, unless my mom has texted me before I get there to give me a heads up. Um, but every day is different. He, he has little routines and, and preferred activities that he does like to engage in. Right now he's in a, in a little routine where at some point during his awake hours, he likes to go on the computer and watch YouTube videos. So, <laughs> you know, eat a couple meals. He'll want to watch a movie. He likes to look up a lot of different items on his iPad and he'll make some lists with my mom. Um, <laughs> and my mom's, yeah, yeah. My mom's also pretty great too. She She'll try to engage him in a lot of activities around the house, so she'll try to have him help with chores when he's kind of around and not stuck in one of his little routines. Um, she'll try to get him to read a book, kind of look at the, the calendar, talk about the days of the week. She tries to engage him, too, in as much you know, academic-based uh, programming as, as we realistically can, um, but he kind of is set in his little ways, and he does his little things. Some days he'll want to go out. Some days he won't. Um, so it's, you know, every, every day is different. We try to build in as much structure and routine as we can. You know, we try to have him, you know, brush his teeth every day. We try to have him wash his face every day. We try to have him take a shower every day. Although lately he's really been into bubble baths. He does not want to shower. <laughs> <laughs> he wants to take That's a, a little, bubble little bit of luxury. <laughs> That's There's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right. He had a hard X day X too. Yeah,
0: right. <laughs> does he have a favorite, like when he watches movies? Does he or YouTube videos? Does he have a favorite, like go to, like Disney movies or anything like that, or does he just watch whatever?
1: He. Definitely is a classic Disney guy. He wants Aww. nothing to do with like new Pixar movies. He, you know, he's like a Cinderella, Snow White. He's an animated Disney guy. Um, I know. I've tried to break him into some of the newer movies, but he just doesn't want to hear it. No um, Frozen for him. Huh? No, no Frozen for him.
0: <laughs> it's good songs, though. I'm sure he it likes is. Music.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Yes, he does. Absolutely. And that's the other thing too. He loves music. Um, but a lot of times he'll only want to listen to music, um, in the car. When we go out, he's got a giant CD collection that he'll like pick one from, um, and we'll listen there. But every once in a while he does get into watching some music videos on YouTube and I think it was a couple weeks ago. He had been on a really good sleep schedule. He was, at, you know, pretty standard bedtime, pretty standard awake time. He was, you know, awake during sunlight hours. But then he got stuck watching Beatles music videos on <laughs> YouTube and ended up staying up all night blasting the Beatles like throughout the house. At like three a.m., my mom woke up and like Rob is like you know, got the Beatles blaring and like jamming out, like he's at a concert, jumping around, like having stereotypy, like so happy, but he ended up staying up all night and then threw his sleep off.
0: Oh um. my God. That's hilarious. Actually, <laughs> that? yeah, maybe you right? should get him tickets to something comparable to that and take him I to a know. concert. <laughs> get <Right? out. laughs> uh, Well, it seems like you have a really um welcoming C- community, like the doctors he goes to. And like I mentioned, the dentist appointment, it was so smart of you to take him ahead of time. And they kind of walked him through what was going to happen and had him sit uh-huh. in the chair and explained everything so that when he came back, you know, he wasn't as fearful of what was going to happen. Um, I mean, the dentist is a horrible place for us. It's just no matter how many times he goes, I just, uh-huh. I, we all have to, there's like three of us and I have to kind of hold him down. It makes me feel awful. You know, holding this kid down just yeah. to clean his teeth and he's panicking. Um, you know, but we have to do it or his teeth would rot out of yeah. his head. <laughs> it's just I know it's
1: so tough.
0: But it seemed like everyone that you, you know, showed in the video, just kind of walking through, um, were phenomenal with him and they really understand how he needs to to learn the process of those things. So that's so nice to have.
1: Yeah. We, I don't know how we lucked out. My mom is, you know, a magician and finds these people who are amazing. You know, she really does. We, I think she started going to that dentist just herself. Um, and we were still taking Rob somewhere else. And, and she, you know, was speaking to some of the people there and they're like, Oh no, no, we would love to have him come in. And it would just, you know, kind of worked out. And same with the doctor that we go see. They're so nice. Everybody, like you said, seems to be so welcoming. And I know that that's not the case. You know, because I worked with some of the tougher guys. You know, like like your son, who mm-hmm. needs those, you know, three or four staff to take him on an appointment. Who is going to be very, you know, resistive to any type of medical procedure. And I have run into doctors who are not pleasant to deal with and who are not understanding. Um, so yeah, we are very lucky. And I think about that every time we have to take Rob on a medical appointment.
0: <laughs> well, you know, just mentioning, you know, some of the videos I've seen, I'm just so grateful for your decision to start the Instagram account. I just think it just not only brings more attention that there are adults on the spectrum, because again, people forget that there aren't just little kids Mm -hmm. on the spectrum, that it's a lifelong disorder and you don't escape from it. Um, You know, Just with all the work that you've done in the field and with your own family, do you have any suggestions? I mean, I, I know no one really likes to give advice, but just suggestions for ways that parents can continue to support and, and teach their older children if they do have them at home and there aren't adult services and, and facilities to to send them to during the day or things like that, are there ways that we as parents can continue the ABA that they've been having, um, just kind of pick right back up with PECs or whatever it is that they're using um, in their current programs for ABA or just things we can do around the house and put pictures up of items or talk to them when we're driving in the car, just I just don't know what to, c- to do to continue once he is older. Um, and I don't want to, you know, have him regress, but I'm not trained in ABA. So I'm just not sure what I would do day to day with him.
1: Yeah. I mean, and I think, I think that it's obviously going to be different for everybody. I think mm-hmm. whatever systems you have in place that are effective for him, if pecs are effective, if hanging pictures up are, are effective for him and it's something he looks for and it's helpful to identify items Like keep doing it, Mm -hmm. you know, ask, ask your ABA providers. A lot of times, you know, behavior analysts should provide parent training. If that's something you want and that's something you need, um, ask for it because they should provide it. A lot of times it'll be part of your package, Um, in terms of the services that they provide you. Um, they will provide certain number of hours of in-home services. Um, So if you're fortunate enough to have somebody that, you know, is willing to do that, take full advantage of it. Um, But I think just in general, I think trying to promote, as much independence as possible mm-hmm. whatever that means you know for for families you know i know that it's it's hard and i've seen it with my mom and it's something that we've kind of had some conversations about it's so hard because you you guys are the parents you're in these caregiver roles and you you want your your sons or daughters to you know feel loved and taken care of and a lot of times that's shown by doing things for us mm-hmm. um, my mom still does it to me she heated me up a plate for lunch the other day, you know, kind of without me asking. She's like, no, 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 don't get up. I'll get it. It's just like, it's such a mom thing to do. Um, But I think for, you know, these, these guys who are on the spectrum, it's it's hard but it's important to take a step back and to say okay like I can I should let Robert throw that out by himself. I should let him walk over to the garbage, open it up, put it in, shut the shut the lid and walk away. I should teach him how to push the button on the microwave, you know, to heat up his rice. All of these minor things that seem so natural Mm -hmm. Um, are important because like you said, you, you get into these, the adult service worlds and there's all of these skills that they want these individuals to be independent in. Um, And a lot of them are difficult to tackle. It's hard to tackle, you know, bathroom toileting issues. It's, it's hard to tackle, you know, communication issues, but the more independence we can instill um, the better. And you know, it makes, it makes these guys feel good too. You know, Mm -hmm. Rob is, is, I can tell has become a lot more comfortable in his home environment and it's because he's been forced to interact and do things in the environment that he wasn't used to doing. Um, you know, he is fully confident and will walk right over to you and take that bag of chips out of your hand and put it back on the shelf. <laughs> you know, he's like, Nope, <laughs> you're I done. think you're done. These are mine. <laughs> I want to eat them later. I'm going to put them back. Whereas before you and Yola might have been a back and forth and he might've got upset and you wouldn't have really understood why. Um, But I think, you know, the more you push for that independence, however you can um, Mm -hmm. is, is extremely important.
0: Um, Was he resistant when you came home initially? Because he has been doing things the same way for all these years. He kind of has your parents wrapped around his finger, I'm sure. And so you come in and you're like, okay, no, this is how we're going to, did you ease into it or did you? Kind of just I, wait and observe and see how it was going to go, and then kind of create a
1: plan. <laughs> yes, I I did some observing for a little while. Um, you know, the first like month or so, I tried really hard to take a step back and just kind of see what was in place, see what was happening, see what my parents were doing. Um, there were certain things that I kind of stepped in and and dealt with right away that were important whether it was, you know, a safety concern, um, because he can be aggressive. And I know it's not something that I really show on Instagram mm-hmm. and it's not something I, I really intend to show. Um, and it really honestly now doesn't happen very often. Um, but the first six months that I was home were pretty rough. Um, Rob and I got into some type of, you know, a, aggressive scuffle Almost on a daily basis, and mm-hmm. a lot of it was due to denied access and being told no or being told to wait. Um, you know, just those little things that yeah. it was. You know, a mom would do it on the drop of the dime. Um, but it was something that that it was it was hard to pick your battles.
0: Sure. Oh um, yeah, I can feel that now. I mean, I, <laughs> I can yeah, relate.
1: Right. You know, and it's it's hard, and I tried my best to really focus on, on behaviors that would be extremely, you know, restrictive for him were he to go into an adult placement. So, you know, the constant demands and getting things right away, you know, asking for a soda and having it right there. He would, you know, come up with this list of things he wanted from the store and my dad would go out to the store and get those things right away. So it was just these, yeah, well, you guys know it's, it's hard.
0: It's, we it's call tough. him Prince, Prince Skylar around here because he <laughs> <laughs> pretty much dictates everything we do and when.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so and that's, we're guilty. that's Robert that mm-hmm. it's okay. I, you know, I know a lot of autism families who are, who are, because that's just how you guys have, that's how we've learned to live. Um, and it's how my family lived, you know, until I went and, and educated myself in the fields. And if I hadn't, you know, I'm sure we would still be giving in and doing the same things. If I didn't have the education in the background that I have, I wouldn't know how to help Robert um, mm-hmm. the way that he needed to be helped. Um, but yeah, so we, we definitely had a rough go and, and I don't think it's, again, I don't really think it's anything out of the ordinary. We were siblings who had been separated for you know, seven years, throughout those seven years, I would pop home for a holiday here or there, but it was never an extensive amount of time. Um, so it just took us a long time to get reacquainted and to reestablish our relationship. Um, and I think it took, the minute I knew we were okay, I, it was about a year, I think after I had moved home, Robert started to independently use my name Um, and that's when I knew I was like, okay, we're good. He would start asking for me. He would start making me lists of items. He would, you know, talk about going to all these places, ride in the car with Dana. Um, so that's when I knew, I was like, okay, we're there, you know, we got it, but it took a long time. It took him a whole year to really, I think, kind of get used to the fact that I was sticking around. I was going to be here. We were going to be working through things together and to really kind of reestablish like our relationship as siblings and as myself as like a clinician almost in a sense.
0: hmm Oh, gosh. I could only imagine what you felt when he repeated your name, you know, and asked for you and wanted you to take him places and only you and, ugh. I would give anything to hear that. <laughs> I know. <laughs> oh my goodness. Well, I mean, yeah. and they're so intelligent and that's something I think people miss too, is he knew exactly, he was just pressing, you know, as far as he could go to see how long it was going to take you to just give up and stop coming by oh, there. absolutely. And messing up his system that he had perfectly in place with your parents and you uh-huh. were messing that up. So, you know, he was just kind of pushing your buttons and I mean, I think that's where we as parents, you know, struggle or anyone in families struggle when our behavioral therapist will show up or whatever, you know, Skylar will continue some of the behaviors, but not as much as when they're not here. And then Uh he will not wait for anything and he'll just open and close, slam the microwave millions Uh of times until his dinner is ready. And you just can not only take so much. You know, the noise know, is like, oh like, I'm coming, I'm coming, I'm coming. It's like I'm his servant, but it's just oh, that, one, that, that is noise to mom, stop.
1: That's my mom 100%. <laughs> Rob is very different when I'm home than when I'm not
0: mm-hmm. home. <laughs> yep. They yeah, definitely but, know what to do.
1: <laughs> oh, but like you said, so smart. Today, Robert's been asking for mint Oreos. Um, (laughs) And so I tried to be clever and buy, you know, he's a big guy. We try to watch his weight. He does like to eat, you know, snacky, unhealthy foods. So I tried to buy him a pack of Oreo Thins. They make the mint Oreo Thins. And I got home and he looked at the package and he like accepted it at first and like set it on the counter where he usually keeps them. And then he walked back over to it and looked at it again and brought it back over to me and told me, Bye. And told me to, he, So he said, that means take it out of here. Coat. Yeah, and <laughs> then he went and he searched on Google and he found the package of regular <laughs> stuffed Oreos. And he's looking at the outside and he started calling them double mint cream Oreos because he wanted the double the filling. And then he's like naming all of the different items that's on the package. So he was calling it Nabisco double mint cream green wow. Oreos. Yeah, he was like picking out all the little pieces because he's like, how do I communicate to her that I don't want these stupid thin Oreos? I don't want to eat these. <laughs> I want the normal Oreos. Um, so, like you said, so smart picks up on so many things that you know you might not think they pick up on. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you take a step back and you really kind of look at big picture you're like oh my gosh <laughs> like so yeah. too smart sometimes too smart <laughs> i know i'm like are you playing me cuz i'm <laughs> <Right>. ridiculous
0: <laughs> and i'm falling right into the trap gosh well rob <laughs> is so lucky to have you i mean and your whole family you guys obviously are a very close and supportive and loving family and oh. I, I just i i think that is the most beautiful thing to watch to witness i'm just glad we get a little window into your life and Rob's life um, through Instagram. I mean, thank God for social oh, media. Well, thank it you. Just, it yeah, just relates right. all of us and makes us not feel so alone. And that you know, there's people like Rob and and you on the um, you know dealing with the autism spectrum in a later age. And you know, we're not mm-hmm. too far behind you. So it just it just is a great role modeling for us and. And how you're doing everything right? <laughs> Maybe you don't feel like you are, oh, but
1: well, to me, you are. <laughs> well, thank you. Yeah, that's nice to hear. Well, thank you for sure. <laughs> no, and I, and that it was a big reason why I wanted to start the Instagram account. You know, because I did want to want to reach out to families who were either dealing with a similar situation with an adult on the spectrum, or you know, younger families to kind of show them, hey, like this could be you. <laughs> you know, it's this okay, is, and, and we're fine. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Well, I have to at least mention too that you recently were awarded the Wego Health Award for advocating for another. So, quickly, yes. can you just tell me what that was for? I mean, I I know the build up and I the excitement and I was tracking like everybody else when you were a finalist and I was so excited when you won. Um, so was it just submitting, submitting. submitting I, I don't know what Wego is, I guess. Um, I'm I'm not sure what that stands for. Yeah,
1: I wasn't I wasn't too familiar with it either, um, until I was nominated. And I guess how the process works is that somebody who follows us on Instagram nominated us, um, for these, this, it's like a social media based award. Okay. Um, and essentially after I kind of, you know, did some research and, and into it, um, it sounds like it's, it's a platform that tries to bring together, um, advocates in specific areas, you know, related to health and tries to bring to them together on this platform on WeGo Health um, to, you know, communicate and mm-hmm. kind of open doors and platforms for networking. Um, it sounds pretty interesting. I'll be going to Las Vegas at the end of the month for the health conference for the award ceremony. So I'm hoping to kind of learn a lot more about everything when I go down there too.
0: Well, I'm not surprised someone nominated you and you're very deserving of it. You're just a, such a great person. And I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to me um, wow. and be on the podcast today. And hopefully we, you know, we're yeah. able to bring to light some, some new things that people didn't know, or just future planning for people to think about um, with Definitely, their yeah. Thank you and, so much Yeah, absolutely. Well, I appreciate it. And um, I will talk to you again soon. I'm sure. Absolutely. This is great. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Living the Sky Life and will tune in for the next episode in two weeks. If you haven't already, please subscribe to Living the Sky Life within Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Play so you don't miss a single episode. If you like what you hear, be sure to select that five-star rating, provide feedback or suggestions about topics you'd like to hear about, and share Living the Sky Life with others. Thanks again for listening.